0: charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.
1: The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash
2: biggerpockets. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, and today we're gonna be talking with Brandon Hall, who you might recognize from a previous show on On The Market where he came and talked about taxes. And today, he's going to be sharing his knowledge, yes, about taxes and things that are changing in the world of taxes for real estate investors, but we also get into new requirements for anyone who owns an LLC. We talk about bonus depreciation and how to save some money on your taxes going into 2024. So if you're an active investor and you don't like paying more taxes than is required, you are going to like listening to this episode. All right, well, that's all I got. And we're going to just get right into this interview. We're going to bring on Brandon Hall, who is the founder and managing partner of Hall CPA.
2: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This show is sponsored by Airbnb.
1: Find out how much at airbnb.com
2: slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure.
0: Brandon Hall, welcome back to On the Market. Thanks for joining us again.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me back, Dave. I appreciate it.
0: For those who didn't listen to your first appearance here, can you just give a brief introduction about your involvement in real estate and as a CPA?
3: Sure. So I, my name is Brandon. I run a CPA firm called Hall CPA uh, in the market. We're kind of known as the real estate CPA or our website's realestatecpa.com. So hit that early for SEO purposes. Um, but my firm, we have about fifty U.S. staff, uh, and and we're all remote, so it's all over the United States. We service about eight hundred clients across the United States. We are one hundred percent niched in real estate, so we've all of those clients are investing in real estate to some degree. Um, and myself, I own twenty five units, so I've got multifamily, single family, short term rentals, uh, kind of doing it all, trying to figure out what I like. That's great. <laughs>
0: Which did you do first? Were you a CPA or a real estate investor first?
3: That's actually a good question. I think I got my license like a month before I bought my first property. So it was it was pretty it was pretty much simultaneous. Yeah. But uh but I I, I like built my entire firm on the Bigger Pockets forum way back in the day. Um just answering forum questions, tax questions, and it's built it uh to really what it is today. So I owe you guys a lot uh, of, of my success. That's super cool. Yeah.
0: I, I remember hearing about you when I first joined Bigger Pockets eight years ago, and you're definitely one of the OG power users of the forums and like we're the go-to CPA. So we appreciate you uh, adding all that value to our community. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's funny. Uh, I, I have this theory that most real estate investors start by just completely ignoring taxes. And then over time, it just becomes like the focus of your entire portfolio is taxes. Um, and it seems like you probably started from a better place than most people <laughs> being a CPA. So it's a good advantage. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, we try to help people think about all those tax issues early on, because I do agree, like people will get into into different deals and then ask how does this impact me from a tax perspective? And they typically ask that question around April 15th uh, of the following year, which is also typically a little too late. So <laughs> yeah, kind of gets in uh, some sticky situations from time to time.
0: Well, hopefully this episode will help people start thinking about these things a little bit earlier. So you're not frantically emailing Brandon or your CPA when there's no time left for you to make any decisions. But today we're going to talk about some changes that are going on in the tax world, seeing as this show is focused on news, data, trends in the real estate industry, where Brandon is here to talk about some changes in the tax world. So the first thing is there's something called the Corporate Transparency Act. What is this?
3: So the Corporate Transparency Act, it's not necessarily a tax thing, but I'm finding that a lot of people don't realize that this is coming. So the Corporate Transparency Act It kicks off January 1st, 2024. If you have an LLC, uh, you probably have a filing requirement under the Corporate Transparency Act uh, starting next year. So if you have an LLC today, meaning before January 1st, 2024, or if you open an LLC between now and the end of the year, so your LLC is open before January 1st, 2024, you have until January 1st, 2025 to file this form. And I'll talk about the form in a second. If you open an LLC after January 1st, 2024, you have 30 days to file the required form. All right. So, and this is everybody. Everybody has to do this thing. So the form is a, is a benef- beneficial ownership interest form. So what, what's going on is we're reporting to FinCEN who the beneficial owners of the entities are. Right, it's very. Uh, I guess you could say intrusive.
0: <laughs> what is FinCEN?
3: FinCEN is the. Uh, I actually don't know what the acronym is. Financial <laughs> Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. That's what FinCEN is. Okay. Yeah. So, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to identify people who are like committing fraud, money laundering, that type of thing, right? But uh, it, it effectively impacts everybody. So, if you have an entity, you have to look at whether or not you have a filing requirement. There are exceptions. Um, so certain, like like if you are a large company, it's 5 million, you've, you've grossed $5 million in the last 12 months, you don't have, you might have an exception there. If you're a nonprofit, if you're a bank, uh, you might have exceptions there. But for most of us that are buying rental real estate through our LLCs, um, we're not going to qualify for an exception. So we have to file this, they call it a BOI report, Beneficial Ownership Interest Report. And that report basically says who are the direct owners and who are the indirect owners of this entity. So, what you have to do if you have an LLC is you have to work with either your attorney or your accountant uh, to file these forms, and you have to meet the deadlines. Because if you don't meet the deadlines, it's a five hundred dollar per day penalty that you're late. What? Yeah. So you can't oh just like God. open up an LLC and forget about this thing. You have to. You have to get this done. The penalty does cap out at ten thousand dollars, but still, that's incredibly expensive. And there is also criminal penalties. I don't think anybody, you know, has to really worry about that unless you are committing fraud. But um, the five hundred dollar per day penalty is pretty, pretty steep. So this is something very serious that you have to educate yourself on. There is currently um, conflict in the accounting industry as to whether or not accountants can file these forms on behalf of their clients. Uh, and whether or not it's the unlicensed practice of law, and it seems to be a state by state issue. So the point uh, the point of that is to just say you have an attorney and you have an and you have a CPA on your team. Hopefully, if you don't, you need both of those professionals. Um, your CPA might not be able to file this for you. So you might have to use your attorney to get this done.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, I just wrote this down. I literally just added this to my to-do list because (laughs) I do not want to be charged $500 per day. I assume that's per LLC, which is really uh, expensive.
3: It's pretty steep. But again, if if you have the LLC open right now, you have until January 1st, 2025. So you've got some time. Okay. But every future LLC you open... But still, you
0: just do it January 1st. Years. Yeah. yeah, yeah just okay. It <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'm curious. So I guess the, the point is to prevent money laundering and fraud. Um, I guess if you're really good at fraud or money laundering, they don't care. Because if you made more than $5 million, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. But... This to me, I I don't know any other example of having to report LLC ownership or file documents to the federal government, right? Like to me, I, I all my LLCs are in, in one state. I've always ever dealt with the secretary of state's office. Is that, is this unusual or, or this is sort of this whole new thing?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's new, um, entities, Entities don't really report to the federal. I don't I don't know of an instance where they would report to federal other than this. Uh, individuals will have like, like if you're investing, if you have foreign bank accounts or you're investing overseas, you might have FBAR requirements where you have to report to FinCEN. So it's not like unheard of. Um, I mean, we have a lot of clients that report to FinCEN, but reporting your LLC to FinCEN is brand new. And you really have to look at the beneficial ownership piece because what we're finding and what we're learning is... The indirect owners. It's not as simple as just saying Brandon owns one hundred percent of this LLC, so Brandon's the only one that shows up on the report. Like you have to look at all of the indirect owners too. Um, so if you have options and grants and things like that, like you have mm. to start factoring that in, and it could get relatively, it could get pretty complicated pretty quick. So don't just take it at face value. This is something very serious. You want to get it right. Uh, work with an attorney or a CPA to to get those things filed.
0: Okay. All right. This is one of those things I'm very glad you told me about and very mad that I have to do, but so (laughs) be it. All right. What about cost segregation studies? This has obviously been a very hot and popular thing to do in real estate. Actually, before we get into what's changing, can you just explain what a cost segregation study is for those who aren't aware? So
3: when you buy a property, let's say you buy a $100,000 home, And uh, we have to break out the land value, all right? So the reason we have to break out the land value is land cannot be depreciated. We only depreciate the value of the purchase price that constitutes components that fall apart over time, like the building and the windows and the carpet and all that type of stuff. Land doesn't fall apart over time. So when you purchase a property you have to allocate some amount of that purchase price to land. And we call it the land value. The remaining that is not allocated to land is allocated to the building and it's depreciated over 27 and a half years by default. So we buy a hundred thousand dollar property and we allocate $90,000 to land. Our annual depreciation expense that we get to claim is $3, $3, $32,0, dollars a year. All right. So every year we get to claim that expense. I don't have to come out of pocket for it. I don't have to pay anything else for it. It doesn't matter if I paid cash for my property or if I financed it 100% or if I financed it 70%, it doesn't matter. Every year I get the $32 to $3300 depreciation expense. Um and it helps to shelter my cash flow, right? Like I could I can cash flow $3000, cold hard cash hits my pocket, but then I get 3200 bucks of depreciation so I get to actually tell the IRS I lost money on this property even mm-hmm. though I actually made money. So that's where this depreciation benefit comes into play. Now, a cost segregation study says, well, you bought the property for $100,000. 10000 was land. So 90000 is building. That's what you're depreciating over 27 and a half years. But there's a lot of components that go into that $90,000 that will not last 27 and a half years. Um, there are components that will only last five years uh, some will last 7 years, some will last 15 years, and maybe the rest will last 27 and a half years. So a cost segregation study is the essentially the the practice or the science of identifying those components that will only last 5, 7 and 15 years. Um, so that that's what you do. In in the purpose of doing that too is like think about $10,000 of value. Um, if I depreciate $10,000 over 27 and a half years, that's uh, $360 a year in annual in depreciation expense, right? But if I get to depreciate $10,000 over 5 years, that's $2,000 a year in depreciation expense for 5 years. Now if we have accountants listening to this, I know that there's double declining balance, but I'm trying to keep it simple, right? So it actually it actually changes a little bit, but simply $10,000 if I can if I can take that out of the 27 and a half year bucket where I'm getting 360 bucks a year for 27 and a half years. And if I can put that into my five-year bucket, thanks to a cost segregation study, then I get to claim $2,000 of depreciation expense for five years. And then I have zero after it's fully depreciated. So a cost segregation study not only identifies these components that won't last 27 and a half years, but it enables you to front load your depreciation expense. So instead of claiming you know, $3,200 in annual depreciation, like, like we we're mentioning, I might have $10,000 in first year depreciation, uh, $8,000 in second year depreciation. So I get to really increase my expense. Um, and then what everybody then references is bonus depreciation. So if I have a cost segregation study w- that has identified five, seven, and 15-year components, I can use bonus depreciation to really write those things off. In twenty twenty two. Uh, it was 100% bonus appreciation. 2023, it's 80%. And then 2024, it's going to be 60%. And it's going to continue to fall off 20% until it reaches zero, I believe, in 2027.
0: Okay. So that seems like a big change, is this declining amount of bonus depreciation. And first of all, thank you for explaining that. It's it's very helpful. From my understanding Cost segregation has been around for a while, but the bonus depreciation, that's relatively new. Is that correct?
3: 100% bonus depreciation was new. 50% bonus depreciation has been around for a while. I see. When did that come into effect? So 100% bonus depreciation came into play in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Got it. Um, and it was always planned on starting to phase out because you have to balance the, the budget and everything. So
0: Got it. Okay. So that's phasing out. And we are now in the midst of phasing out. And can you just remind me of the tiers you just said of how it's being phased out?
3: Yeah. So so prior to January 1st, 2023, if you bought a property and placed it into service and you did a cost segregation study, you could, you could 100% expense any component with a useful life of five, seven, and 15 years. So, you know, on, on single family homes, these cost segregation studies will allocate like 15 to 18% of the purchase price to five, seven and 15 year properties. If I'm buying a hundred K property, then I'm getting a $15,000 first year deduction. Um, And that just multiplies as my value multiplies on multifamily property. It's like 20, 25%. So it starts to go up and then there's other types of property that can get you to like 50, 60, 70%. um, And it, just depending on what you're buying. So the bonus appreciation is phenomenal. Uh, It's a phenomenal tax benefit. Uh, But in 2023, it it, it dropped from 100% to 80%. In 2024, it's dropping from 80% to 60%. Uh, And then it's going to keep going down 20% until it reaches zero, which again, I believe is 2027.
0: So what does this change from 80% to 60% mean for investors? I, I know that Giving advice is very individual, so it's hard. But what are some things that perhaps our audience should think about given this change?
3: Um, I think that the main thing is that cost segregation studies will become less valuable. But I want to make sure I caveat that by saying cost segregation studies will still be valuable because you're still accelerating depreciation. It's just that you're not able to fully extract the tax benefit from your rental property. Uh, because you can't fully expense the amounts identified with the cost segregation study. Um, So from a time value of money perspective, we want to to pull the tax savings out of the property as fast as we can and then redeploy those tax savings into other investments, whether they be rentals, equities, bonds, whatever. Um, And if I can't fully pull those tax benefits out, then I'm going to lose some value from a time value money perspective. So the point is to really kind of say like like if you were really used to 100 percent bonus depreciation knocking down your tax bill uh it, it's just going to change a little bit it's not going to necessarily like I, I can't foresee people saying i don't want to do a cost segregation study but i think the conversation around cost segregation studies will change
0: do you think we'll see like a rush of people trying to still capitalize it because like you said it's still valuable and 60 percent is still better than what it used to be or is now it basically at the value that it used, you know, is traditionally.
3: Um, yeah. I mean, traditionally bonus depreciation was fifty percent. So I don't think we're gonna see any sort of rush um yeah. to purchase property, especially in this environment, you know, like it's a it's a pretty tough market out there right now. So you know, I I we we try to coach our clients on don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Um, you know, you you have to buy a property that 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 you think will perform well and fits your investment criteria. And unfortunately, a lot of people do not do that, uh, especially in the short-term rental markets. They'll just buy property, bonus depreciate it, and then later realize they have to operate it to make money. Yeah. Um, So I don't think that we'll see like a rush to acquire property. Um, But people do it as – I mean, at the end of the year, there's always people saying – can I buy property now, place it into service before the end of the year so that I can bonus depreciate it? So, I mean, there are people that do acquire from a tax motivated standpoint.
0: What about any other changes? We've heard about the Corporate Transparency Act. And just as a reminder, everyone, you should be, if you have an LLC, try to do that as soon as you can in 2025. We're also hearing that cost segregation studies, while still valuable, bonus depreciation
3: is declining
0: from 80% down to 60%. Brandon, are there any other tax developments investors should know about?
3: Um, I think those are re- the real major ones going into next year. At the end of the year, there's always some legislation that that gets passed, so we're always looking at Congress to, or always, we're always, we are always watching Congress to make sure that nothing crazy is going on. It doesn't appear to be anything in the works at this point, uh, but that's not to say that something couldn't be spun up at the last minute. So. But, uh, we're going into an election year. So into 2024, we might see something come about, like new legislation that might change some tax laws. Uh, but those are kind of like the main things, the main real changes I I think that investors should be aware of going into 2024. The one other thing that I do want to mention, the IRS interest rates now are at 8%, uh, which means that if you are not, like if you, if you work a W 2 job and that's kind of your main source of income, uh, you can tune this part out, but if you run a business like me, or if you are primarily making money from real estate, buying, selling, you know, flipping, whatever, you, you should pay attention. So, with interest rates being so high, it becomes uh, very costly not to make quarterly estimated tax payments. So, with low interest rates, a lot of people, and myself included, would just kind of wait until the end of the year, make one big, major lump sum payment. And you know you'd eat the two thousand dollar cost associated with that, Uh, but today that cost has significantly increased. Um, And I think what a lot of people don't realize is if you don't make a payment, if you extend your tax returns on April fifteenth, and you don't make a payment or the total payment that you're supposed to make had your had your returns been totally prepared, uh, whatever that delta is, that payment that you should have made. Not only is it accruing interest, but it's now accruing a half a percent per month payment penalty that you also have to pay. So like like if you take $20,000, if you should have paid $20,000 on April 15th with your returns, but you extended and you don't get them filed and paid until October 15th, that $20,000 will accrue like fourteen dollars or $1,500 of additional penalties and interest. So... And, and you know we have clients that it's like a hundred thousand dollars so it's like it gets it gets extremely costly. What I'm trying to say is if you've never had like a tax projection performed or or a quarterly a custom quarterly tax projection performed or a tax estimate performed, you might want to start looking at that with your accountant. Uh, we're starting to field a lot more requests from clients on that but uh, but it's just that rising interest rate environment. Makes it a lot more expensive to hold on to the tax bill and not pay it on a quarterly basis. So if you're making money from business or from, you know, liquidation of real estate where you're not withholding federal taxes, uh, you might want to get a quarterly tax estimate performed for you, for you. Uh, and it costs money, but it will probably cost less money than not making the payment.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You see a lot of people on social media being like, "It's an interest-free loan from the government to <laughs> hold on to your taxes." It is not interest-free. Yeah, Certainly um, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, and to yeah. your point, if it was three percent and you were earning, you know, five or six percent annualized rate on whatever, then it was actually a good trade. But now, earning eight percent on your money is no longer a layup, uh, and so the the delta is not necessarily working in your favor. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that's very good advice. Thank you. Appreciate that. Last question, Brandon. How do people find a good CPA, uh, specifically one who knows something about real estate?
3: Yeah. Um. Well, the my my self serving answer is going to be if you <laughs> if you look online, um. You know, we all have websites. Ideally, if if your accountant doesn't have a website, that's probably concerning, but, um, seems like a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially (laughs) today. Uh, but we all have websites. So what does the website say, right? Does it show we have 15 different industries? Does it show two different industries? Does it show like our website, one industry that's typically a good place to start. Um, in terms of, are they working with other people like me, like real, like real estate investors, uh, another good place to start would be like a local real estate meetup group. Uh, ask for referrals. You can ask on the Bigger Pockets forums. I know people are always asking for referrals there. Um, so asking your peers is a great way to go as well. So I, I would say either one of those. Like just looking online, looking at the website. Who do they target? Uh, and then asking asking peers for references, referrals, that type of thing is is going to be a good way to find a CPA. It's hard to like actually ask the CPA. Do you work with real estate investors? Because they might tell you yes, but they you might be their first one. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. That, that's why I say you you want to look for these other indicators, right? That kind of build that almost social proof, if you will, or build that authority. And that way, you know that they're they're working with people like you. Great advice. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Dave, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks
0: again to Brandon. Really appreciate his advice. I definitely added a couple of things to my to-do list. That LLC requirement is nasty. I don't want to pay $500 a day. That seems extremely punitive. But luckily, you have a year to comply with that. So add that to your do list. I personally also learned the lesson of the estimated tax once. It is a very costly thing. So if you are earning a substantial portion of your income from a job or income source that does not withhold taxes for you, you probably want to talk to a CPA about making those payments. So again, you are not paying any penalties or more tax than you are required to. Hope you all learned a lot from this very tactical and practical episode. These things are not always as exciting as making bold predictions about what's gonna happen in the economy next year, but they really make a huge difference in the performance of your portfolio. So hopefully you learned a lot and can make better decisions about your tax, your LLCs and all that in 2024. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible.